He's pretty incredible. He's pretty incredible. And I, we're going we're gonna to get into a study today. Uh, the, the Lord, uh, if, you, if you've been around me for any period of time, you know I love worship. You know it's just my favorite thing ever. I just love it. I love everything about worship. I love what it does. I love how it, it, it uh, uh, puts you in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just a wonderful thing. And, and so I, I have a four-part series called Kingdom Worship. And um, tonight we're going to jump into the first of uh, that, and that's called Foundations. And in this series we cover four different, there are four different um, uh, uh, lessons in this. The first one is Foundations. The uh, uh, second one, let me see, do we have it up here? The second one is expressions. Expressions uh, talks to us about um, uh, uh, our outward worship and, and why we lift our hands, why we lift our voice, and why we clap. And, and, then, and then we have devotion, just dives us deep into our relationship with Jesus Christ and, and pursuing him, and then collective worship. And, and last August when we uh, visited here, um, I, I, I spoke a little bit about collective worship, and, and so I, I want to uh, go through these four lessons. Tonight, we're going to start with lesson one. We're going to talk about foundations, and then some other Wednesday, later down the road, we'll go to lesson two, and then later down the road, we'll go lesson three, later down the road, we'll go lesson four. Does that sound okay? Amen. Sound all right? If you are a note taker, um, that's awesome. I encourage you to do so. If you have a device with you, a phone, an iPad, something like that, pull it out. Pull it out. Hold it up in the air real quick. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. There's an app on your phone, and it's called Notes. It's called Notes. I encourage you today to use it. I encourage you to use it. I, I, I want us to, to uh, uh, get some, some new understanding on worship today, and so I encourage you to do that. And, we, and, and when you take notes, uh, I encourage you to be contextual with it. So don't just put one thing down and not have a context with it. Because later when you go and you do your personal study, later when you go and you pray or you're in devotion, and if you just have one little piece and you don't have a context with it, it's hard to remember exactly why that impacted you the way that it did. So I encourage you as you're writing, be as detailed as you can. If you have paper and you don't have a pen, we have pens in the back, just raise your hand. And an usher will bring you a pen. I have a study guide available, but I don't have it available for you. Yeah. I'm sorry I ran out of time, and so I did not get a chance to print it out. All right, we're going to talk about kingdom worship. We're starting tonight with foundations. Somebody say foundations. Amen. Amen. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. The hour cometh now is when the true worshipers, somebody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must, everybody say must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. It's a requirement. In spirit and in truth. Foundations are important. Foundations are important. I don't know much about building or construction, but I know probably the most important part, Brother Mike, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. The most important part to whatever you're building is the foundation 
in which everything sits upon. When you build on the wrong foundation, everything sits a little off. Things become more uneven. Mistakes that were small at the beginning grow and become more evident as you continue to build. And, and it's more likely to crack and become damaged. Good foundations provide durability, strength, and integrity. A good foundation carries everything else on it and it holds it all together. So if you are building something of value, you don't want there to be mistakes in the foundations. And with a subject like worship, we can't afford to have the wrong foundation. With something as valuable as worship, you've got to have a good foundation. When I say foundations, what I'm saying is we're starting with the discovery of true worship. In our text tonight, Jesus says something very interesting. He says he's looking for a true worshiper. True worshipers are the ones who will worship God in spirit and in truth. He goes on to say that this is who the Father is seeking to worship him. That's the person I'm looking for. It's the type of worship I'm longing for. Now, for Jesus to say this, that he's seeking a specific kind of worship, true worship, that means he has seen or come across people who have presented worship, but not the worship that he calls true worship. People have brought worship. They've done that. But he's looking for something specific, and he calls it true worship. In verse 24, Jesus says God's a spirit, and he must be worshiped in spirit and truth. So not only is he reiterating this thought from verse 23, but he further cements this idea that there's a difference between worship and true worship. There's a difference, and he's seeking the latter. He shows that by using this word must. They must. It must be this type of worship. It has to be this type of worship. This is the worship I require. The word must by definition means to be bound by an imperative requirement, to be under the necessity to. So Jesus is saying this is a necessity. This is a requirement. This is the worship. This is the worshiper that I require. And if Jesus is seeking true worship from true worshipers, I don't know about you, but for me, I need to make sure I'm not just bringing worship, but I'm bringing him true worship. So what do I need to know about worship? What do I need to know about true worship? What's the difference between the two? Well, first we look at worship today. The word worship comes from the old English word worship. And when we break down this word, it has two parts, worth and ship. Worth, it means to give value to. The suffix ship, it indicates a state or condition of. So what is worship? Worship is to ascribe worth to someone or something. 
Worship is a beautiful and amazing thing. God deserves worship. It can be said when we worship God that we are affirming God's worth. And how awesome and amazing is that? But here's the thing. This type of worship is not exclusive to God. It's not exclusive to God. You see, people worship a lot of things in a lot of different ways. People worship sports and athletes. People worship music and performers. People worship Hollywood actors and actresses. People worship themselves. They worship money. You see, you can ascribe worth to anything and anyone. People even worship one thing while also worshiping another thing at the very same time. So while it's a beautiful thing to ascribe worth to God, and we should do that. God wants us to do that. He wants to know what he means to us. But Jesus made a point to separate worship from true worship. A worshiper and a true worshiper. So worship is ascribing worth to something or someone, yet it's still not given exclusively to God. So then what is true worship? What is a true worshiper? Our text actually gave us that answer. It's the one who worships both in spirit and in truth. So the question really should be, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? One translation of John 4.23 describes this phrase like this. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. It's pretty good. So we're, we're looking at worship and true worship. So worship is when you ascribe worth to something or someone, while true worship is when you engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. First and foremost, he wants true worship. Because that's exclusive to him. Your spirit in pursuit for truth. If we break it down a little further, we follow this idea out. And we go back a few verses. We go to John 14 and 6. And Jesus speaking, he says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Jesus says, so we go back to 423. True worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. But John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. So if Jesus is the truth, we can interchange this word here, truth, in John 4, 23 and 24 with the name of Jesus. In other words, true worship is when you are engaging your spirit in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. So why don't we look at that verse here with full understanding. But the hour cometh and now is when the true or when the Jesus worshipers shall worship the Father instead of in spirit and in truth by engaging their spirit for the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Woo! Any true worshipers in the house today? True worship 
is the unending, unquenching, daily pursuit of Jesus Christ. It is a life of pursuing him. It is a life of worship. So we look at the verse uh, in 24 and all of a sudden it takes on a different meaning to us. Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must. There, there's that requirement. It's a requirement to worship him in spirit and in truth or in spirit and in truth. So by engaging their spirit in pursuit of Jesus, that's my requirement. That's what's exclusive. That's what nobody else gets. That's just for him. What is he saying? He's saying this is the only way. It's only through Jesus. It's only through him. He said, this is what I want. This is what I require. This is true worship. It's not shared. It's not given anywhere else. It's just directed in one place. In the pursuit of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. Worship can be ascribed to anyone or anything, but true worship is exclusive to Jesus Christ and no one or nothing else. I don't know about you, but I want to be a true worshiper. I want to be a true worshiper who engages their spirit in pursuit of him. John 14 and 6, Jesus ends this verse by reaffirming that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But by me. He's saying this is a requirement. It has to be through me. It has to be done this way. If you want to make it, you've got to go through me. You've got to go through Jesus. He says, that's what I'm calling for. Not just worship, but true worship, exclusive worship. Worship reserved only for him. Not shared, not given to anyone, just for him. Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us we are all built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Who knows that at the very foundation, it's got to be him. At the very foundation of worship, it's Jesus. At the very foundation of this faith, it's Jesus. He's at the foundation. You got to build on top of him. You got to build on top of him. Write this down. Lying at the foundations of kingdom worship is the most important understanding of them all. That everything centers around Jesus. He is the foundation of kingdom worship. It's always been and it always will be him. So we talk about the conflict. The conflict isn't worship versus true worship. The conflict is when one is a worshiper, but not a true worshiper. There are a lot of worshipers who come into a service and their worship is dictated by the quality of music. They're inspired by vocal performances and they know how to worship and they're familiar with expressions of worship, which we would talk about in another lesson. And they, they, they can fall right into that moment 
They can, they can fall right into an atmosphere. They're comfortable with a worship experience. But then when the service is over and it's time to get back to work on Monday or it's time to get back to school on Monday, they're not interested in continuing that engagement of their spirit in pursuit of Jesus Christ. They love the music. They love the lights. They love the atmosphere. But when Monday comes around, it's right back to how it was before. There's not that daily pursuit. And that's the true worshiper. That's the example of of a worshiper. One who can show worth to Jesus Christ. Yet their spirit isn't engaged in the pursuit for him. It's just about that moment. Ralph Mahoney said, whenever his people gather and worship him, God promises he will make his presence known in their midst. On the other hand, where God's people consistently neglect true spiritual worship, his manifest presence is rarely experienced. We gather together and he promises to come and we experience a moment with him. But if we neglect true worship, if we neglect engaging our spirit in daily pursuit for him, then we will find his manifest presence is rarely experienced. There are 52 days, 52 Sundays this year. 53 Wednesdays. Together, that's 105. Let's assume that We come every Sunday and every Wednesday fully engaged and hungry. Can anyone say that that's not necessarily 100% of the time? Right? But we're going to assume for this that that that's the case. Every, Every Sunday this year, every Wednesday, for 105 service, we come in completely locked in for a singular experience with him on all 105 days. There are 365 days in a year. That would mean we've experienced his manifest presence only 28% of the year. Worship versus true worship is the difference of experiencing God 28% versus 100% of the year. True worship is continual. Continual daily pursuit after him. True worship is an everyday kind of worship. Those are the ones that pursue him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then can come in on service on Sunday and be able to pour out expressions of worship. That's true worship. Those are the true worshipers. Beautiful music and and the singing, it's amazing. It's an expression of worship that also promotes a collective atmosphere of worship. Music is powerful, but it's not what starts and stops worship. True worship begins when my spirit engages after him. When my spirit is crying for him. When I pursue him with all my heart. No matter what the song is being sung. No matter what the beat of the drum is. No matter how crazy and hype the service is. No, my pursuit after him is just because he's God. There can be loud music or no music. It can be good music or bad music. It won't matter to the true 
worshiper because they are living life in constant pursuit after God. So how does a true worshiper pursue God? Well, we understand tonight that true worship is a spirit engaged with the pursuit of Jesus Christ. So how do we pursue him then? This is the second most important thing to understand about kingdom worship. How, as true worshipers, we engage our spirit in pursuit for him. Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Worship was never meant to be a one-time experience. True worship is a lifestyle that you're going to live every single day. That's true worship. The word service in reasonable service, in, in the Greek, it's translated here, worship. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship. If we look at a couple different translations of this, I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, If we look at the NIV, the Bible says, this is your true and proper worship. The NLT says, this is truly the way to worship. The NLV says this is the true worship that you should give him. Oh, if you're not getting it, what I'm trying to say is true worship is me dying on a, on an altar. True worship is me sacrificing on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, finding an altar every day. Oh, building a relationship with him. That's not a one-time thing, but it's a daily thing. That is my true worship. If you're taking notes, write this. Your spirit is continually engaged in pursuit for God when your life is continually sacrificed before God. Your spirit is continually engaged in pursuit for God when your life is continually sacrificed before God. If pursuing Jesus lies at the foundation of true worship, then giving yourself as a living sacrifice lies at the foundation of your heart's desire for him. Harold Best said this, the scriptures include or allude to just about every approach to worship there is. Organized, spontaneous, public, private, simple, complex, ornate, or plain. Yet there is no comment anywhere about any one way being preferred over the other. Rather, it is the spiritual condition of the worshiper that determines whether or not God is at work. So the question is, what's the spiritual condition of a true worshiper? And that is daily sacrificed before the Lord. Can you lift up your hands and bless the Lord in the room today? Hallelujah. Lord, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. I offer my life as a living sacrifice. God, I lay myself down. God, I lay myself down today. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I pursue you every day of the week. Not just today. Not just on Sunday when the atmosphere is right. Oh, but when I don't feel like praying, I'm going to pray. When I don't feel like reading the word, I'm going to read the word. When I don't feel like pursuing you, God, I'm still going to muster up all my passion and pursue you, Lord. Because that is true worship. That is kingdom worship. That is what you require from me. The law of first mention. This is a Bible study tip. I recommend you write it down and you apply it every day. There is a neat method in which you study the Bible. Specifically when you're considering doctrine and principles in the word of God. And it's called the law of the first mention. The idea is that the first mention of a word or a theme establishes the way it should be viewed throughout scripture. That's how we form principles from the word of God. We find that first mention and then we find patterns that continue throughout scripture to confirm that word. You see something in the New Testament. You take that subject, you take that word and you trace it back to the first mention. And you see if there's corresponding patterns. And so if we take what we see in Romans... This daily sacrifice. And we travel back to the first time we see the word worship in the word of God. We're taken to Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains. Now, we're not going to have all the scriptures up in this passage. We're just going to put up the ones that I I want to bring out here. So, So a burnt offering. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and he took two of the young men with him and Isaac his son and clave uh, the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went uh, unto the place which, Ab- uh, which God had told him. And then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And verse number five. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. In verse 2, it was a burnt offering. In verse 5, we're going to go and we're going to worship. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife. And they both went of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Uh, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Verse 9, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there. Somebody say an altar. And laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the uh, altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, uh, thy only son from him. What was in Romans 12? 
sacrifice. Daily sacrifice. An altar. We trace this back and what we find here is God is requesting from Abraham in the the first mention of worship. He's asking for an altar of sacrifice. He said, your son, your only, your, your special son. Your special son. That uh, Isaac meant everything to him. Oh, I want you to put it on an altar. I want you to set it down. I want you to put it. That's true worship. That's true worship. A call to an altar of sacrifice. A unquenching desire for God will always lead you to a life of sacrifice. An unquenching desire for God will always lead you to a life of of sacrifice. Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. And he answered, uh, and he answering said, thou shalt, love the, uh, the, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. The way we pursue God is by sacrificing all. By giving him all. That means I might not be able to have this in my life. And I might not be able to have that in my life. And I might need to filter this. And I might need to filter the music I listen to. And I might not be, uh, I need to, to, I might need to filter the movies I watch, right? And the TV shows I see. Because, because this is about giving all. This, isn't, this is about giving him everything. And if it's not building me here. If it's not adding to my pursuit for him. Then maybe I just need to cut it out of my life. Maybe I just need to filter it out. Why? Because I'm giving all. Because this is giving all. All of my heart. All of my mind. All of my soul. All of my strength. That is true worship. Mm. Jeremiah 29 and 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart with everything inside of you a lot of people they want to stop with you seek me and you find me and they forget this last part but it's only when you search for me with all your heart you want to feel my glory you want a a, a relationship with me where you discover new things you want new callings you want new anointings you want ministry in your life you want these things you gotta give all you gotta give all you gotta sell out to this thing You shall seek me and find me. But when you search for me with all of your heart. Stand with me. At the foundation of kingdom worship lies the two important truths that we've uncovered. Number one, true worship engages your spirit in this pursuit of Jesus Christ. And number two, the pursuit of Jesus Christ is a life that's called to sacrifice. The psalmist showed us the best example as the heart panneth after the water <laughs> After the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. The word pant here, it means to long for. 
Oh, to long for. I want to be a true worshiper that's longing for him. I want to be a true worshiper that's searching for him with all of his heart. I want to pursue him. I want to chase after him with no restraint, with no added weights to my to my journey. Oh, without a restriction. Oh, I've got to pursue him. Why? Because that's the true worshiper. That's the true worshiper. Last thing, A.W. Tozer. He said, we must never rest until everything inside us worships God. I'm not going to be content. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop with 28% of the year. I don't want 28%. I want 100%. Oh, I don't want it just when the right song's being sung. But I want a relationship with him. That's every day. I want a relationship with him where I learn grace, where I learn his mercy, where I learn love everlasting, where I learn of him. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voices. Give him praise. Oh, Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Pursue him. Pursue him. Oh, no rest until everything inside of you worships God. Don't rest tonight until everything inside of you worships God. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it.